You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. We've been doing a four-week series called uh, Planted. And really the heart of the series has been, you know, what if in 2014 uh, you could be the sort of person that uh, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of uh, the situations that you face, regardless of the hardships, regardless of the trials, is someone who remains strong and grounded and solid and unfazed. And what if you were planted? And so over those four weeks, we had looked through what it meant to be, first of all, planted in God. That is to, to Psalm 1, to have spiritual roots to go down into streams that are unseen so you're not phased by your external circumstances. Then we saw what it meant to be planted in truth. That is to be so grounded in the truth that is the Word of God that, uh, that, the, that you change your relationship to the truth to the extent that the truth about Jesus changes you. And then GA... I heard on all accounts wasn't here last week, preached a cracker on what it means to be planted in community, to be living stones, to be so close to one another. There's no need for mortar between the bricks. And so tonight we now look at what it means to be planted in your work. And I guess the question is, why are we going to look at work? And I think that's a real question to ask, but it's, uh, it's the right one to be asking because I tell you, this time of year as a pastor, there are so many people, and I don't know if this is your situation tonight, but people who have, are still struggling to find work, uh, people that can't stand their work, and my job is so boring, it's so mundane, uh, people who have stepped out in new ventures of work and waiting for the revenue to come in and they're trying to build a business and they're slogging their guts out with no return and they're wondering if it's all worth it. Now, that's the right question to, to be asking and more particularly because if we look at things like plant, being planted in God, being planted in truth, being planted in community, if we look at those things realistically in terms of what it means for your life, uh, if, if, we were to, if we were to sketch out the, the bar graph of the amount of time that you would spend on your life on these things, being planted in God and in community, and if here was zero and there was 100% up the, up the end there, you know, your time in the Word and in church and with other people probably represents what? 1%, 2%, 3% of your work week? All the rest of life that we live is in our workplace. And so what could be radical about what we read tonight? And of course, for some of us, uh, this is a little bit of a revision from the series that we did on work, but I think it's so vital we revisit this. Uh, is that what, what if, what if uh, work wasn't something that we just had to endure, but what if we discover from God's word that work is the very thing he plants you into? We're going to read from Genesis, uh, that's right at the beginning of the Bible, chapter 2, verse two, uh, 1 to 2, chapter 2, verses 1 to 2, and then verse 15. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Then verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now to bring you up the speed, first couple of pages of the Bible, God's been busy creating the world. And so he's up to his seventh day and he looks back on it and he says, hey, it's, it's good. And so then we see straight after that that he creates Adam and Eve. And it says in verse 15 that he, he plops them into the garden, he plants them into the garden. 
And so here's what we're going to see uh, is that, the, you know, when we look at what does it mean to be planted in your work, here's what we're going to see tonight. What it means to be planted in your work is that, first of all, you change your perspective on work. You change your perspective on work so that it gives you a freedom in your work and it gives you a freedom from your work. You get planted you get planted, you change your perspective so that it gives you freedom in your work and it gives you freedom from your work. That's where we're going. So when we ask, well, what does it mean to be planted in your work? Here's the thing. First and foremost, you change your perspective on work. That is, the Christian faith gives you this new set of glasses, a new perspective of work, whereby work now becomes the means by which God blesses the world. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, here's the startling truth. This is what we discovered. Here's the crazy thing. If you don't know it tonight, work is a part of paradise. I mean, you, you're going to slog your guts out. You're going to be working all your life. You're going to do something like 90,000 hours of work in a, la- a lifetime. You're going to get to heaven. And guess what God's got there for you? Work. <laughs> People are going, sounds like hell. But that's what is so, and that's startling from our context and our culture, right? Because that's totally against the grain of our culture. I was, I was watching one of those trashy UK reality TV shows the other week. I can't even remember what it was called. Um, you know, like um, totally loaded and happy house hunting or something. Basically, the gist of it was it was a bunch of um, British rich kids uh, whose rich parents would go around and help them to buy houses around London. And so we would just follow these rich kids going off to, to buy houses. And so there was this guy, Craig or whatever his name was, he was 25 years of age. He had that classic British guy sort of look, you know, the funky hair, you know, when they sort of shaved half an eyebrow off, a Robbie Williams earring, uh, some fashionable polo Ralph Lauren. And, uh, and they asked him, you know, are you going to ever work? And he says, work, whatever. <laughs> right, Whatever. And it was, he's indicative of our culture, right? He's like, if, if mum and dad have got it sort of for, I don't want to work a day in my life. Now, for many of us here, that sounds like the dream, isn't it? We say, if only, if only we could have a mum and dad where we never work a day in our life. You see, work to the world, and maybe even to us, when we look at it, the unchanged perspective of work says that work's a duty, work's a necessity, work's an inconvenience. But the biblical view of work is totally different. You know, what have we got here in Genesis? What have we got in here? We've got, the, we've got the richest dad in the universe. We've got the guy with all the resources in the world. He's called the creator. He could create a whole bunch of gold bullion to go buy a house if he wanted to buy a house, if God ever wanted to do that. But we've got the creator of the universe with limitless resources. And the principle is this. The Genesis is showing us that God has already got what most of us want, and that is the resources not to have to work. God's already got that, and in Genesis, what do we see? God working. God with his hands in the dirt. God doing stuff. God creating. And all of this is radical because Genesis is going out of its way to say, look, look how good work is. Works in heaven, works in paradise. There it is, the garden. The garden, it was representative of paradise. What have you got in there? You've got great food and you've got beautiful things for the eye to look at. And you've got sexuality as how God designed it to be. And you've got limitless provision. And you've got friendship and you've got companionship and you've got work. 
Verse 15, he puts the man in there to work the garden. And so in the Bible, work is a good thing because it's a God thing, right? That's a perspective that the Bible gives us. It's a good thing because it's a God thing. And here's how the perspective could, could change you tonight. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're a mathematician or an electrician. It doesn't matter whether you are a doctor or a ditch digger. All of work has dignity because God does it. It's, work, is a, work is a good thing. It's a beautiful calling by him. But it's not just that. Look at this illustration that, that we have here in Genesis. Look at the picture here of God as a gardener and, and putting man in the garden to do it. You know, what do gardeners do? Do they pave over, do they pave over the top of the garden? No, not, not unless you're a gardener in a Joni Mitchell song. Um, sorry if... That's, that's for the over 40s, guys. Um, <laughs> you know, do you, do you ignore it? No, when you're in the garden, he tends to it. He's active. He's creative. He's, he's, he's looking at all the rawness and all the potential, and he's, he's using God-given talents and abilities to work out how he can make it better. And, and so here we have the definition for work. The definition for work is to take the raw materials of this creation. And to rearrange them for the purposes of flourishing God's world. And so if we see the principle of it, if we get what Genesis is saying, if, it's, if Genesis is representative of the world around us, then the world's not your enemy and the world's not to be avoided and your work's not to be avoided because God's planting you in it. He's put you in it to do that, to flourish the world around you. Now, can there be no more nobler definition of work to take the gifts that God has given you this week and your talents and the context around you and to engage in limitless creativity in order to uh, flourish the world around? I could. They, it, I mean, uh, who walks into their Monday like that? All right, amen. <laughs> but that's the change perspective. How many of us forget the biblical definition of work? as we're ironing our shirts for work tomorrow. God, this is what it means. The change perspective is this. That God has planted you into your part of the world to flourish the people around you. And what that means is it doesn't matter whether you're in the bowels of a retail store hanging up shirts hour after hour after hour. It doesn't mean if there's not one single Christian in that place, if you're there, God has planted you there to bring, to bring life and to bring love and to bring goodness and to flourish it. And it could mean that if you're a doctor in the craziness and the upside downness and the clinical nature that where every patient is possibly just another chart, that your manner and your overflow and who you are as a doctor and the words that you say and everything that you do could give a ray of hope and a ray, a ray of peace to every person you come across. That's God flourishing the creation through you. And so that is the change perspective. Now, if you have that, then here's the thing. If God has planted you into the gardens in order to flourish it, that's what we've got. If he's planted you into the garden in order to flourish the world around you, here's, here's the first thing it does. It gives you a freedom in your work. It gives, it gives you a freedom in your work. You can have a freedom in it. Now, why is that significant? Because, you know, pastorally, I'm always having conversations with people who are terribly torn up by the work situations. You know, and typically the, the way that it goes is they say, look, if only I could be a minister. <laughs> if only I could get out of this rat bag world and be a minister, it's just fantastic. And trust me, you know, ministries need flourishing as much as the rest of the world. 
You see, it's it's not just about the context of the work that is around you. You see, when you when you have a freedom in your work, this is what it means: that the perspective of being changed by the biblical perspective of work, it gives you an an inner gyroscope. You know those gyroscopes, sort of pull them. It gives you an inner stability that keeps you from being overthrown by either success on one side uh, or failure on the other. And here's here's what I mean: um, Why do we work? Why do we work? Have we ever heard that phrase, um, do you want to live to work or do you want to work to live? That's how we say it. Do you want to live to work or work to live? And now more often than not, we work for the supporting benefits of our work, for the money and for the status and for the approval and for, yeah, the sense of achievement and effort. But Dorothy Sayers, who's a writer, she had a great essay. You should look her up on the internet and, uh, and read it. She had an essay called Why Work? And she says this. She says, what is happening is that nobody today works for the sake of the thing they do. The result of the work is only a byproduct of their real aim. The real aim in work is money or status. So doctors practice medicine not primarily to, primarily to relieve suffering, but to make a living. The patient is something that happens along the way. Lawyers accept briefs, not because of their passions for justice, but because this is the profession that enables them to live. Outside of the gospel, you're not ever working for the sake of the work. You're aiming for something other than the work, and yet again, the Bible offers a different perspective. Colossians 3.23, Paul says, Whatever you do, work with all of your heart. As if you are working for God and not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Now, here's how it applies. How often are we thrown around by office politics and office antics and water cooler conversations? And you know how it is, all the usual discussions around what so-and-sos were doing with so-and-so in our various parts of work. But fundamentally what it's saying is there can be a freedom in your work because if you're working for God, you're no longer working for your boss and you're no longer working for your friend's opinions and you're no longer working for a sense of social approval. Instead, you know, work, work, work in that way is no longer just a means to your success or your survival or your approval or your status. Here's the thing. If, if, if you're working for God, work now becomes your mission. Work now becomes the way in which you move into the world to enact the plans and the purposes of God. It means in some ways, if you're the person that's always asking, look, I'm not sure if I can go to Madagascar, or I'm not sure if I go to Africa and serve, or I'm not sure if I can fly overseas, or I'm not sure if I could quite work with the homeless. I'm just not sure if I'm geared for that at the moment. The question is, could it be that your workplace is the very mission field that God is planting you into? The biblical view of work allows you to work for something or someone beyond your circumstances. And isn't that what being planted is all about, right? Psalm 1, they plant their roots into streams of, of water. They are evergreens in the desert in all seasons. And that means in spite of the pressures of work or even the lack of work for you at the moment, it means there's a life and there's a resolve and there's a peace and there's a buoyancy because whether you are happily employed or unhappily employed or unhappily unemployed, You are always working for God. And so what that means practically is the high-pressure jobs, they become more bearable. Even the most modest jobs that you've got to go and do because you're struggling for work right now, they become 
meaningful, and the times in between jobs become fruitful. You, you work for God. That's the freedom in your work. Is there a freedom in your work tonight? And finally, not, not, only, not only can you have a freedom in your work, but you can have a freedom from your work. Freedom from your work. And you're saying, oh, good. Yeah, I've been meaning to quit my job this year. And <laughs> here's, here's the biblical basis for it. People are already getting their notebooks out. Oh, this is going to be good. I'm waiting for this one. Tell my boss this one on Monday. Um, it's not where I'm going. Verses... Two to three, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he'd done. Now, what is that? That's, it's God resting. Now, what, what is that really? Because that should be absolutely startling. That is startling. And here's why it's startling. It's startling to see God resting because we can't. And you say, of course I can rest. You know, I take a sick day every now and then and, you know, a mental health day. I can rest from work. But no, we can't rest, you see, because most people believe that all you need to do in order to rest from your work is to just stop working. But let me ask you, are you one of those people that goes away on holiday and uh, you pack the iPhone and you pack the iPad and you pack a manila folder full of all the various client files and you pack uh, all the details for your VPN? In in fact, if you know what a VPN is, then you know that you've got a problem with working whilst you're on holidays. And, and, and you're, sort of the, you're the sort of person that scrambles to the top of the mountain on this beautiful desert island in order for the hope, dear Lord, that I could just get at least two bars worth of 3G reception and some packet data here. Are you, are you one of those sorts of people? You see, because what is it? We, we, we just can't put this stuff down. In fact, there was a newspaper article from the Herald in 2010 that was calling, it was saying how Unions New South Wales were calling for the government uh, to introduce rules requiring staff to ignore their emails and leave their work phones and computers in the office when they go on leave to stop the invasion of work into holiday time. They're calling, they're calling on the, the, the unions were calling on the government to legislate this stuff. You know, why do we need legislation to stop us taking our iPhones and our work away on holiday? This is crazy. But it's because, I guess the deeper question we've got to ask is, why can't we just say no? Why, why do we take it away? And that is because in our society there is a deep restlessness that we can't come out from under. We can't put our work down. And here's why. You see, because the real problem is not your work. Your real problem is the work that's underneath your work. And here's what I mean by the work underneath the work. We are constantly haunted by you know, what I've heard said, the inner murmur of inadequacy. You know, there's this little voice within you. you. You know what it sounds like. It's normally in your own tone, but it's that small voice inside you that says, even after you've done the best possible day's work and the best possible piece of art or whatever you've done, it's that little voice that says inside you, has this been enough? Has this been enough for my boss? Has this been enough for my friend? Has this been enough for that father that I had in my past who always told me that I would amount to nothing? Is it enough? It's in a, in a murmur of inadequacy and it's never enough. And frankly, I blame Luna Park and Australia's Wonderland and all those sorts of places for this because they've always got those funny little signs that say, you must be tall enough to ride this ride, right? And for poor guys like me that aren't the most uh, vertically blessed people, 
You know, I constantly hoarded by those things as a kid because I'm constantly worrying that I'm going to walk into one of those signs that say, you must be tall enough to reach this ride this ride. You now the reality is that we carry those funny little stands everywhere we go. That wherever you, whichever workplace you're going to go to, you are always going to carry deep within you a little sign that says, you must be tall enough. You must, be tall. you must have this job in order to feel accepted. You must have this relationship to feel accepted. You, you, you must uh, have this degree to feel accepted. You must have this job to feel accepted in order to quiet the, the inner murmur of inadequacy. So can you see why this problem is not just about getting a physical freedom from your work? You take this voice everywhere and you could be in the, one of the best workplaces in the world. You could work for Google. Where they play billiards. I was there at Christmas. They play billiards at lunch. They've got, they've got video games that you can just go to it. You could be in the best workplace in the world and you will carry this with you until you get the freedom from the work underneath the work. So where do we, where do we go? Because that's the real problem. Come back again to the verse in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. It says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day he rested. This is what I was getting at. You know, what does it mean that he rested? Did he get tired? No, God is like the ultimate nuclear power station. I mean, God eats nuclear power stations like seeds on a strawberry. You get what I'm saying? Like this guy is power in and of himself. He didn't get tired. Or, or you're thinking, well, did he run out of bricks? No, this guy creates bricks. All right, he just There's a brick out of thin air. He's just, he is the creator, remember? So he didn't just sort of work, oh, oops, I'm out of bricks. No, he's not tired and he's not out of resources. What does it mean that he's rested? When, when, when it says that God's rested, here, here it is. It means that he was satisfied with what he had done. He was satisfied. He steps back and he looks at his work and goes, that, that's good. And it's finished. It's done. I can stop. God rested not because he had to, but because he could. And God, unlike so many in the world and like his precious loved human race, unlike them, God was able to stop his work. He was pleased with what he was doing. He was satisfied with what he was doing. He was satisfied with what he was done. And that's why he stopped. Because he said it was good. And so I, I, I guess the question is, you're asking, what has this got to do with taking my iPad away on holiday with me? Look, when, when, when God comes in and he says the seventh day, we call it Sabbath in the church. Uh, when, he, when he, he comes away and he mandates it, he commands it. You see in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy verse 5, it's a command that you must rest. When he does that, what he's saying is, I want you to do this as a declaration of freedom. To walk away from your work for a day is to say, I'm no longer a slave to my boss. I'm no longer a slave to my physical work. And more importantly, I'm no longer a slave to myself. Because here's how you stop being a slave to yourself. Jesus said it really well. He, Matthew 6, he says, um, go out, look at some birds, look at the grass. Look at everything floating around. Go out, look at everything that's, that's happening around you. And if you stop for just a second, dear child, you'll actually realize that you're not the one that's running the world. That I, I, I am the creator. I have all of this wrapped around my little pinky finger. And to think that your agendas and your setup and your goals and your plans for work somehow is going to make the universe turn a little bit better? No, come on. I mean, like when you put the car in for a service in the garage, you don't, you don't put it up there on a hoist and stare at it the whole time. 
You put up, you work on it. And so what Jesus was saying is, if you want to take this time off, if you want a freedom from your work, you actually have to recognize that Sabbath is not a day off, but it's actually a day for. It's a day for going away, reflecting on the God of the universe, your place in his kingdom underneath it, as a partner in this unlimited creative activity. And you can relax. And as a result, you get a deeper freedom. You get a freedom not just from your physical work, but you get a freedom from the work underneath the work. You need that freedom from that inner murmur tonight. And how do you get it? As we finish tonight, how do you get the freedom from the inner murmur? How do you stop putting up the you must be this high signs in your life? If, if you want to find that freedom from your work, from the work underneath the work, you've got to come to Jesus. And that's where we find it. Doesn't he say, come to me, all of you who are burdened and weary, and I will give you rest? Jesus is not saying, come to me and the Christian life is lazy and you won't have to work. In fact, that's not what we've seen from the biblical view of work. Jesus says, come to me and I'll put you to work. But in that, there will be a rest underneath all of that. And you see, here's what Jesus does. Jesus releases that burden, that need for us to prove ourselves to ourselves. He gets the rid of the, you must be this high to ride this ride sign. Because the gospel is not what would Jesus do. The gospel is what has Jesus done. And when he reconciled us to God, when he went and lived the perfect life for us and died the death that we deserved, that's the gospel of the cross. When he does that, the the minute you believe into that and become a Christian, he takes all of your imperfections and all your shortcomings and all your stuff-ups, including your work ones, and he nails them to the cross. And when you believe in Jesus, here's the thing. The only boss that you should have to prove yourself to says, I love you. And in Jesus, you hear God look at you and say that the ultimate work of creation, you know, that's a funny thing in the Bible. We think creating the world was a big thing. God said, that's nothing. The true work that I will be doing in the new covenant is to take people who are away from me and to make them new. And when he looks at you as a Christian, he says, it is good and I'm satisfied. Because his son said it is finished. You see, the work, the work that we all know, that work of acceptance, the, the, you must be this high. You know, forget Luna Park. What, 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 is that, what does that ride marker look like when you get to the gates of heaven? How high must that thing be to stand before the very presence of God? And at the cross, Jesus smashes that. The only work that we need really worry about is done. And that is the very definition of a Christian, is to rest on his work and not our own. And so let me sum it up. That the only boss who'll work you into the ground and the only audience that, that, that doesn't require you to perform to them look at you and say, it is finished. The work is good. You are wonderful. You are beautiful. You are, you are finished. You are complete. The only one who can do the work underneath the work has done it for you. And the only performance review that really counts has already been taken care of. Friends, guys, are we getting the different perspective on work? If we get the biblical view of work, then we see that work is a good thing and it's a God thing. And when we take that into what you are about to walk in tomorrow, you can have a freedom in your work, no matter how horrible your boss is. You can have a freedom in your work tomorrow. But most importantly, you can have a freedom from the work underneath the work because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.